0: We weren't looking for kids because we thought any of that was gonna be tied to hold harmless, that never entered our minds. We started looking for kids day one, and I know every other superintendent did too. And we were looking for them, not because we were like, if we don't find them, we're not gonna get money, because we didn't even know that was a rule of the game. We were looking for them because we love them and we care about them and we care about their academic, social, and emotional, you know, well-being and, you know, their physical well-being. Where are they? Are they eating? Who are they with? What has happened to them? That's why we were looking for kids.
1: From Raise Your Hand, Texas, I'm Tessa Benavides, and this is Intersect Ed where the stories of Texas public education policy and practice meet. In this episode, we will take on the allegations some are making that districts haven't been doing enough to find their students throughout the pandemic. As you heard at the top of the episode, Dr. Jennifer Blaine, superintendent of Spring Branch ISD, says these allegations are something that educators take very seriously and very, very personally.
0: we were sitting around waiting I already had these charts and you know I already had these charts and graphs I already had my list of things we'd done and the dollar amounts attached to them so you know we we had spent a ton of time money and resources never mind the fact that this has been just quite honestly a nightmare for every superintendent because you know this has just been difficult.
1: Dr. Granita Lathan Houston ISD interim superintendent echoes Dr. Blaine. She disagrees with the notion that there are a lot of lazy parents or teenagers out there who won't get online and that districts need to be threatened with a loss of funding to do their best to reach them. Instead, she is reminded that Texan families have been through a lot.
2: It's not that people are lazy or not that they don't want to do. They just have so many things that they're struggling with right now. And I think we forget that people were struggling prior to the pandemic. So prior to March of 2020, Let's go back to 2017. We had Harvey. Between 2017 and 2020, there were still some other weather related uh, events. Uh, and like I said, so people are trying to continue to rebound. And then what happened last week? We were hit with another uh, major issue. So I, I really don't think it's for lack of caring or not wanting to do. It's just people are struggling with their own issues and their own personal lives. Life has happened to all of us. <laughs> and I think people forget, um, because things are good for a lot of people, that there are things that parents having still to work two and three jobs. You know, we have had parents that have lost jobs. And so they've had to start a new job, which means hours have possibly changed. Some of our students are still experiencing homelessness. And so they're living from one place to the next, from, you know, from day to day, they don't know where their meals are coming from or housing needs are going to be met. And so sometimes that poses a problem. We have a number of our high school students that are actually supporting their families. And so they are actually going to work also. And so it is a delicate balance of trying to make sure that they are getting online and that they're learning, but that also we are meeting their needs.
0: Here's Dr. Blaine again. I know part of the thing we want to talk about is like the number of kids that we've been able to locate. So. We're down about 5%. It's pretty much what I think everybody's down, maybe 5.5%. It's about 2,400 kids. When they talk about locating kids, we've actually located and connected and talked to and found 96% of our kids. It's 96% of that 2,400 kids we talked to. We have it broken down by the number of kids we contacted that are in that are now in homeschooling. The number that went out of the country, the number that went to other Texas school districts, the number that went out of state, private school. And we actually recovered um, 284 kids by making those phone calls, going door to door and knocking. And we did, I mean, I could list you a million things we did, but we actually got 284 of those kids Back in the system, first of all, I'll say that we, so we sort of, we had district level things we were doing, and then we had campus level actions, and then we also had partnerships going on. And and so some of the, some of the things we were doing were new, they're things we've not done before. And so I would say that that's a good thing. You know, we, we learned um, maybe some new and different processes, put some new and different processes in place that we maybe haven't had to have before because we've never been missing this many kids. So I would say the positive or the silver lining is that you always learn something from what you go through. And as a result of really having to think differently, where, where, how are we going to find these kids? We've come up with some new and better processes. Wow.
1: Spring Branch ISD is not alone in improving their processes to help them stay more closely connected to their hardest-to-reach students throughout the pandemic. In Fort Worth ISD, Read Fort Worth, a collective impact organization, has been mobilizing the village that exists in Fort Worth to support students and families. Here's Satoya Williams, external relations manager of Read Fort Worth, to explain how they went straight to students' front porches. Was it a
3: first cut? Um, 29, 28, 209, 11, I'll take this back on the other side. We'll go to the Hampshire first, mm-hmm. and then we'll go to Scott, and then we'll be done. Okay. Do they need actual books? Do they need access to internet? You know, what is it that we can help with, and how can we galvanize our community partners in this work? And so, as we shifted to that, our mayor has a term in which he calls... Um, Fort Worthy Community of Front Porches. And so we built upon that name and we launched this effort to go and meet families and have conversations with them to see what is it that they need and how can we as a community wrap our arms around them during this time.
1: Terry Walker Burston was one of the volunteers for the first round of Front Porch visits. Terry lives in the neighborhood where she teaches. We always focus on building relationships with the student, and we
3: do a great job at that. This has allowed us to build a relationship with the student and the family. I cannot tell you, uh, after contacting all of my students, I, I would give my number. I had a meeting space where they could you know, call, send me a text, and then we jump on a meeting space right away if need. I would have parents call me and just, you know, well, are they, are they, I don't teach any of the core subjects, so they would call me and say, well, how are they doing in science? Fuck, <laughs> like, well, let's find out, <laughs> but it, but, but before, I didn't have that. I would not have that. It was always maybe talking about discipline, how they're acting in class, a little bit on the work, but it was just about general things. I, I would have, sometimes I would have students to call me and just say, well, you know, Ms. Ms. Walker-Burston, how are you doing? And, uh, you know, my mom said, hi, or something like that. I didn't have
1: that before. In Hutto ISD, located north of Austin, District officials were lucky to have already hired two full-time parent support specialists who have been instrumental in helping the district communicate with families during times of crisis. This is Dr. Selena Estrada-Thomas, Hutto ISD Superintendent.
4: We could have a whole discussion about how Mr. DeLeon and um, Mrs. Alvarez stepped in to support our parents with virtual learning, especially our Spanish-speaking parents, who were not only having to navigate just this whole virtual learning environment, but the technology associated with that. Uh, I can't tell you how many times, even now, I pass by Joe's office, and he is deep. He's one-on-one, deep in conversation with a parent trying to navigate all of the resources that our kids are using for virtual
5: learning.
1: In this particular call, Joe de Leon is following up with a parent whose son just returned to face-to-face learning. He tells the father how thrilled Jaro ISD is to have his son back at school. As the call continues, Joe reassures the father about all of the precautions his son's school has in place to prevent the spread of COVID-19. Before hanging up, Joe checks on the entire family. He asks how the family fared through the recent winter storm. They lost power, but all in all, the father reports, they made it through okay. Okay. Joe reminds him to call if he ever needs anything.
5: Okay.
1: For Joe, the work of connecting with missing students and their families hits close to his own home.
5: I one of the things that I'll, every time I saw a student name, uh, I kept thinking, you know, that could easily been me back in the day when I was around that age. as I shared, mom had a second grade education, dad dropped out in the seventh, you know, and and there was only one car in the family and dad would have that and and I would have easily just fell between the cracks, you know, and have gotten lost. So I just took it in to myself, I'm like, I'm gonna find all 300 of these and see what's going on with them. And then I just went down the list and then um i'm happy to say that i was able to find all 300 of them you know but it was just so so good some of them weren't even in the state because when the pandemic hit they they left because they had elderly parents somewhere else so they wanted to be there to take care of them and then when we find them they they're like well my parents don't have internet or anything so i'd send them a link to either some uh way reduced type of uh, internet service or some free service that they can get in order for the child to, to log on. And then when they get back here, uh, um, I'd go take them a laptop, you know, and because I find out that they don't have no computers at the house. I've probably done more home visit within this last year or during the COVID time than I've done in all the other years put together. (laughs) You know, we're not that, that old parent and family engagement in the district's not that old, but I... I always tell people we came in right at the perfect time, you know, where we were definitely gonna be needed. I'm working with a family right now to We made several home visits to, to their home because uh, it always would seem to be like for, I don't wanna say for the bad reason, you know, but the last home visit, I noticed that, that um, there was a lot of bees coming out from the, the front of the house. So I talked to grandma, and she's like, yeah. She said, we've had to move to the back room of the house because there's been bees there for over a year. You know, I'm like, there. And then I said, and I bet that affects your your grandkids in doing their schoolwork. She's like, oh, yes, it does, because many times they're just trying to run away from the bees. So I'm like, okay, there's a bee problem there. I've heard of beekeepers. I don't know any, but I got on them. Um, on the internet, called some friends. I found a beekeeper who, right now as we speak, is removing those bees from that house. You know, and uh, it's just I love that. Yeah, I it's didn't just know that so.
4: Story, I think the most important part about this work is that uh, the motivation behind it is not about money. And um, money, of course, is uh, vital to us being able to sustain our efforts. But I think it's important for our legislators uh, to know that looking for kids is part of our DNA, not just in Hutto, but uh, all of our colleagues across the state. Uh, You're not going to find a superintendent or a school district in this state who has not beaten the bushes to look for their kids. That's just what we do. Uh, It's not about business as usual or shrugging off the fact, oh, it's COVID. Kids aren't going to show up. They're just going to wait it out. Yes, some families have chosen to do that, but you should have a running record of who has done that. Uh, For the most part, looking for our kids is part of what we do in Texas. COVID or not, losing funds or not, that's just part of what we're gonna do.
1: Texas educators never needed a funding incentive to find their students. That's their job. And beyond that, it is who they are, what's in them. They want every student to be found so teachers can teach and students can learn. Schools want to do everything possible to educate every student in their community. They didn't know the pandemic was coming. They didn't expect a winter storm could impact us the way it did, but they're going above and beyond to help us through and make sure every student's needs are met. This is how schools have been showing up for their students. It's time for lawmakers to show up for our schools, most especially when it comes to funding. They have received a hold harmless for this academic year. They also need lawmakers to preserve the investments made in 2019 through House Bill 3, and to ensure the next rounds of federal stimulus dollars intended for our public schools actually get to our schools and our students. I'm Tessa Benavides, and this is Intersected. Today's episode was narrated by me, Tessa Benavides, co-written by myself and Laura Millette. Our sound engineer and editor is Brian Diggs and executive producer is Laura Millette. Thank you for listening to Intersect Ed. If you want to learn more about how to support Texas public education or how to get involved, head over to raiseyourhandtexas.org.